You're listening to a podcast by New Heights Church. We hope you're encouraged to glorify, grow, and go. We're going to be looking at Ephesians 1, 50-23. So if you would, get out your Bibles, turn on your Bibles, and let's get ready to do some study. And now, if you haven't um, been here through the past couple of weeks, um, as you heard, we're in the book of Ephesians. And what we've seen so far is Paul open up uh, this letter with a praise to the Lord. And now today, Paul makes a slight transition away from his preamble that is praising uh, God's nature and eternal plan, and he moves to deal with the church of Ephesus specifically. Um, now, the church of Ephesus was, uh, it was, there was some good work happening there. There was some issues of unity, which Paul deals with a little bit later in the letter. Um, but th- this was, a, this was a, a thriving church in this, um, in this free, th- uh, thriving city. Um, and despite being uh, famous and an epicenter for idolatry, um, it was quite remarkable what was happening in the church of Ephesus. Uh, Now, Paul uh, today turns towards the church to both encourage the church and remind them of some needed truths. I think some truths that are important for every local body uh, under the sun if they desire to remain faithful. So if you would, let's go ahead, and I'm going to give you the three points, and let's go ahead and pray. If you're a note-taker, the church's reputation, the church's need, and the church's confidence. Let's pray before we look at his word. God, we thank you um, for your word. I thank you that we can come together as a body and worship you, sing your songs, and um, Lord, I pray that your word, um, Lord, that it trains us up in righteousness, Lord, that it rebukes us where we need rebuked, Lord, that your word speaks to us and, and, the, and distractions can be set aside and we can just spend this time learning about um, who you are and what you want from us. Lord, we love you, in Jesus' name we pray, Amen. All right, the first point is the church's reputation. I'm reading uh, verses 15 and the first part of 16. It says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. So first, Paul acknowledges uh, what he's heard, which is uh, in the church of Ephesus, he's heard about their faith in the Lord and how this faith has produced love within the church. They were seen and, uh, as a loving group of people. Now, uh, I think the term loving can mean different things to different people, especially in the day and age that we live. Um, but given that this love is coupled with a faith in Christ, uh, we can know that it's not some sort of whimsical affection for sinful lifestyles. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. That's not what is being discussed here. Likewise... Love is not being a tyrant and declaring all who disagree with your theological preferences or heretics worthy only of the fires of hell. Right, there's a time to be accepting and there's a time to call it heretics, and really Scripture deals with both of those. But what I want us to look at, if you can put verse 15 back up on the screen, what I want us to look at is what is Paul thankful for? Right, He says... For this reason, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and the love toward all the saints. He's thankful that the church in Ephesus understood the mission of Christ. Their faith in Jesus had led them to be obedient. And how were they being obedient? In their love of people. And what is the mission of the church? It is to disciple and it is to evangelize. Notice both of these require people, 
Right? You can't strip away people from the mission of the Lord. And, and so in essence, Paul is saying, guys, you have acquired an incredible reputation. Word has gotten back to me that you all have been amazing and loving and kind and generous to each other. And you can imagine how great this was for him to hear. He planted the church, taught there for over two years, caring for them. And so to see that this church isn't just thriving, but the way that this, the church of Ephesus cared and, and loved and sacrificed for one another, it had become renowned. Think about that for a moment. A conduct and a care in the church that is so loving that it bursts from its doors and goes beyond the city. That's an incredible witness and a testimony to the faith that God has gifted us. And church, honestly, we should, we should desire that same reputation. Now, what is coupled together here makes complete sense, right? Paul has heard of their good works, their sacrificial works, their loving works, their gospel work, and he understands this is being fueled by their faith. Their good works are not being fueled by shame or guilt, right? They're not like the child who wants to make up for the failures, so they, they labor with great effort to win the affection and approval of their father, right? That's unhealthy, and that's not what's happening. Their work is not fueled by fear, right? They're not reluctantly loving one another so they can labor themselves out of hell. That's impossible. Rather, their faith in the Lord's promises creates in them a desire to love others. And this is not a crazy notion that faith and love for the Lord Christ would produce works expressing that devotion. When we love someone, we, we sacrifice and labor for them. I mean, you know that. You have families. You have children and grandchildren, wives, husbands that you love, that you are willing to sacrifice and labor for because you love them. So it's no surprise that the church of Ephesus, who obviously is in love with Christ, is willing to do extreme, radical things out of a form of worship and faithfulness to the people that have been brought into their local body. Scripture says that our faith will manifest good works, right? James 2, 17 and 18 says, So also by uh, also faith by itself, it, uh, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. The Ephesus was showing their faith by their works. They remembered what Jesus told John, right? By this, uh, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. They knew this. They understood this. And that's exactly what they were doing. And their reputation was a people that loved Christ so supremely that they could love each other sacrificially. I think but that was their reputation. Their reputation was that they were a missional people. They were discipling, evangelizing the lost. Church, I want to ask you a sincere question, and I really want you to think about it. Should we even care about our reputation? I mean, should, should we, as Christians, care about what others think about us? Do we care about our reputation so much that we become weak and soft, unwilling to call sin what it is? 
Or do we just say, you know what the heck with our reputation? Let's be as cruel as we want. All right, let's spend our Sundays together making fun of people, making fun of other churches. Let's create a little echo chamber in here where we can tell our thoughts is biblical and demonize those who are politically different or those who are culturally different or those who are racially different or those who are theologically different. Should we care about our reputation? As a pastor, Scripture actually commands that I care about my reputation. First uh, Timothy chapter 3 actually gives one of the qualifications of a pastor is they have to be thought well by outsiders. Right? I have to care about my reputation, but, but okay, well, what about you guys? Because your, your job's not on the line, so should you care about your reputation? If you need a little help here, Proverbs 22 says that a good reputation is greater than gold or silver, greater than riches. So wisdom says yes. Church, you should care about your personal reputation, and you should care about your church's reputation. Our reputation, I mean, you're going to have one either way, right? We're going to develop a reputation either way, so... You might as well care, and it's going to be determined by what you do and don't do. Now, I grew up in a house where my dad was very much concerned about reputation. I didn't get it then. I understand it now, right? Um, But he was always very concerned about how I dressed uh, because I typically have two modes of dress. I, I have business casual, and I have homeless, right? That's typically how it works for me. Some of you have seen me outside of the church, right? You, you, know, you know my homeless look. You may not know it was me. Some of you have thrown some change in my hat, which I greatly appreciate. But that's, that's kind of, that's been my issue. And this one time, you know, I was trying to leave. Was, my friends were like, Jeremy, you got to see this monster truck show. You're going to love it. Side note, I didn't. It was weird. I don't understand why anyone likes monster truck shows. But I was willing to go. I was willing to do this thing this monster truck event. And, uh, and I was walking out the door and like my dad emerged from the shadows like parents do. And I was a teenager, so like, you know, it was terrifying. Um, but he said to me, he said, where do you think you're going? He doesn't sound like that. But like, that's how, I imagine my dad is kind of like a Star Wars villain as a teenager. And I was like, uh, Lord, dad, I'm going, I'm going to a monster truck show with some friends. And I remember he said, not like that, you're not. And I was like, what's that? And I, by the way, I was wearing like a white tee. Um, typically, knowing me, it probably had some mustard stains on it and uh, a pair of sweatpants. That's what I was, that's what I was wearing. And um, I tried to say, I was like, Dad, I'm going to a monster truck show. I'm probably going to be like one of the best dressed there, right? Most men probably won't even have their shirts on. Neither will probably half the women. It's a monster truck show, right? Who knows what kind of craziness is going to happen there. And, uh, but I remember him, he would always say to me, he'd always go, uh, Jeremy, you must uphold the very name, like that. Now, I remember him saying that, I used to, I, oh, I used to hate it so much when he would say it. Um, and literally this morning, this is not a joke, uh, this, is a, uh, this morning, Maddox, I'm like, buddy, it's time to go to church, let's go. He comes out and he has sweatpants on. And I'm like, Maddox, you can't wear sweatpants, man. And he's like, why not? I'm like... Because people are going to think we're weird. And I hear my dad laughing from the Death Star, right? I could hear it. But like, I get it, right? I get it. I understand it now that, that when, when people would see me, when people see my child, right, we make a judgment. Naturally. 
We look at them and we go, okay, this says something about their father. In the same way, right, your reputation that you labor for is reflected onto your heavenly father. And when we're called to be the light of the world, listen, oftentimes we become obstacles to the gospel. When we're called to be ambassadors for Christ, we become the poster child for hypocrisy. But we're called to be loving. Too often we're divisive, cold, apathetic, and disjointed from each other's lives. If I asked you, generally speaking, what was the reputation of the church as a whole? Uh, not this particular church, but the church as a whole. Most of you, and I didn't talk about the world standards, but by biblical standards, most of us might say it's not loving or kind. I think sadly it's because for many, the mission of the church has been lost. Right? When there is no love, there will be no discipleship. And when there is no love, there will be no evangelism. Understand the love expressed by the church of Ephesus. This wasn't, this wasn't just an incredible love. This, this is a supernatural love. In, in, the, in the age where we are obsessed about our spiritual gifts and we're Googling, what's my spiritual gift, right? What Scripture says to you is that every Christian, the greatest gift you've been given is what? Love. A Christ exalting, gospel-centered love. That's the greatest gift that you have. And what we see is Ephesus is putting this gift to work, and God is being faithful using men and women in this church to build it, to deepen it, to strengthen the body for his glory and their good. Now, it was really cool. Recently, we had our uh, 10-year anniversary. If you were at the gala that we had. It's just kind of a celebration of God's faithfulness. We watched this video, and it was so neat. Um, and one of the questions that we asked was two. What was, the, what was the first time you came to New Heights like? We asked most people this. What was the first time you came to New Heights like? Uh, and, and the second part was, why on earth did you stay after that? And uh, what I heard was incredible. Um, over and over and over and over again, it was, it was we were loved. We were cared for. People were investing in us. They, they, they wanted to be a part of our lives. They wanted us to be part of theirs. And, and there was this community that was so magnetic and so beautiful. Church, your story is one that begins with a beautiful faith producing love and good works. And my fear is that we can get fat and comfortable and forget the mission completely. that we cease to invest and disciple one another, that we cease to care for the lost, that we can sit back and think, you know, we're big enough, especially when we go to one service, and we're big enough. We're big enough. We've made it. We finally own our own building. And church, that's not our decision to make. The fact that Jesus has not returned means he's not done building his church. Therefore, we can continue to labor with one another for one another until that glorious day. He moves from praying a prayer of thankfulness uh, for the church of Ephesus the, to praying for their needs. That's my second point, the church's needs. Um, now, you might be like, what, what on earth do they need? They sound like they're doing pretty good, right? Their, their love and community is renowned. Right? They, that's the Christ-centered, Christ-exalting. Goodness, they're challenging culture. Sounds like they're doing great. 
Listen to what he says. Uh, Verses 16 and 17. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation and the knowledge of him. We see... The Father who's in the Son now gives the Spirit. And, and what is Paul praying for? What needs is he praying for? Notice, th- there's nothing material here. They're not praying for a new roof that, that's leaking really bad. right? Maybe, maybe the church of Ephesus had a really leaky roof, and there was one particular pastor who was pretty tall who thought he could fix it all and would jerry-rig everything and flood the back over and over and over again. Will's not in here for the intervention that I was hoping, but... At some point, it needs to happen. Notice the prayer isn't that the right political party would emerge. He's not praying that the social issues of the day could be a bit more church-friendly. All of these things, by the way, are good things to pray for. There's nothing wrong with praying for these things. But it's not what a church needs to flourish. Look at the first need. God's wisdom and revelation. That's what we see in verse 17. He's praying that they have God's wisdom and revelation. Paul wants the church to be wise, that is to discern what is true and everlasting and be able to know what is foolishness and distracting from the task at hand. He also mentions revelation. This is not the church of Ephesus would receive a new revelation, but rather they would be drawn to the word and know God deeper. And again, you may be asking, well, it seems like they're doing that. Does it, is that a need? The need is that they remain faithful in it. Because just because you're led by wisdom today doesn't mean you'll be led by wisdom in 10 years. And just because this generation consumes and values God's word doesn't mean the next will. So Paul prays that the church continues to seek wisdom and seeks to know God deeper through his word. The second need that he's praying for them for is God's desire. In verse 17 it says, um, and then the second part of 18, that the, Lord, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, what does he want to give them? Have the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Simply put, Paul prays that their heart's desire is godly and that they're led by the Holy Spirit, that they ought to love what God loves and hate what God hates. All right, our hearts need to be sensitive to what the mission of God is. Because if not, right, our mission will become tainted, perverted, and weird, right? We will become, our mission will be all about buildings. It will be about humanitarian efforts, and the gospel will simply be a garnish on the side. Our desire as the church needs to be God's design and desire for his body. And given that he is the head, the body responds as the head commands. The third need that he's praying for is God's calling. This is in the second part of uh, verse 18. He says that you may know what is the hope to which uh, he has called you. So right after, it's interesting to me, that right after Paul commends them for their faith, he prays they remember the hope. Now, why? Because in our personal life, or in the life of our church, there will be a day that seems so dark that you'll have to preach the gospel to yourself. You'll have to remind yourself of where your hope is, inevitably, each and every one of us. In the past year, just in our local body, 
People have lost spouses, have lost jobs, expectations and dreams have imploded, marriages have been pushed to the brink and strained, some broken, friendships lost, anxieties increased. If any church, New Heights or the Church of Ephesus, in order to remain strong, it must continually preach the gospel to itself. One of the biggest misconceptions is that the gospel is only good news in your lostness. Nothing can be further from the truth. For every redeemed, regenerated heart, the gospel is still good news for you. If we forget this as a corporate body, we will lose sight of the mission. If our hope rests on anything else, right, we will be led astray. And Paul knows this. So he's praying that Ephesus will remember that which gives them everlasting hope. The fourth need is our inheritance and God's greatness. Third part of verse 18 through 19, it says, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? Paul reminds the church, if you're going to stay faithful, you need to remember what you have received in Jesus. I think naturally we, we tend to think of eternity here. Um, and that's included, right? We receive a kingdom that we don't deserve. And what always blows my brain is thinking about how Scripture describes us in eternity, that we will, we will be judging angels. Like, I can't wrap my, my, my mind around that. that. That we are princes and princesses. So it's a reminder, look, the, the, the worst that this life has to throw at you, it is but a blip on the radar of eternity. This too will pass. But also I think it's more than just that. Church, we receive something now that we all need to remember and grapple with if we want to have a right heart, mind, and mission. I have, I have seen um, men and women, and uh, I'll include myself in this as well, feel so uh, shamed because they struggle with sin that they take themselves out of the mission field. They struggle so much, they struggle and they beat themselves up and they shame and guilt themselves to the point where they, they almost quit trying Listen, you receive something in this life that is so precious, incredible, and truly you don't know the depths of it, and it is the righteousness of Christ. Right? Scripture talks about the great exchange where when he took our sin, he gifted us with his righteousness. That is why that you can go to the Father, to his throne of grace for prayer, and is why the Holy Spirit can indwell in you. That you are declared holy you don't have to pay for your sin because there was someone who already did. And they took it and nailed it to a cross. We were to repent and praise the Lord for forgiveness and keep focused on the mission. And to remember our inheritance and the power of God who defeated death and who grants us life. Now, church, listen. I want to make it clear to you. Notice what Paul does not mention. He's saying, Ephesus, if you, want, if you want to thrive, if you want to continue to be gospel-centered, if you want to continue to make charging the gates of hell, I'm going to pray for these needs for you. 
Church, listen, we don't need fancy things to grow. We don't. Oh, listen, uh, nice, chair, nice chairs are, are a blessing, right? You're not going to hear me demonizing nice things because that's silly. Scripture doesn't do that. Um, David and Solomon, very wealthy people, right? They praise the Lord for the, those blessings, as should you. But, but listen, oftentimes we get in this mindset that we need nicer things or people aren't going to come to Jesus. And nothing can be further from the truth. Jesus is sufficient for our ministry. And when we fail to recognize the sufficiency of Christ, then we fail to miss the power of the gospel. We will inevitably take ourselves off the mission field. And you have to ask, well, what did Jesus give? He gave himself, and then that's why we preach Christ crucified. To ourselves in the morning, to our children, to our spouses, to each other in the church, and to those we meet as we go. Finally, Paul ends with reminding them of why we can have confidence. This is the third and final point, the church's confidence. Ephesians 1, 20-23 says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as a head over all things to the church, which, in his, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. Listen, the church, as mentioned, lived in a city where there was a, it was really the, the, the center of idolatry. It was specifically, it was the temple of Diana was in Ephesus. And there, they, they claimed to do magical things. And there was sexual sin that would even today, in our day and age, make us blush. Now, Paul wanted to remind them of the confidence they can have in Christ because he could look at the church and be encouraged, but he also wasn't naive. Life would be difficult at some point. Heresies would have to be fought back, and the gospel would also need to be protected. And if they were to remain faithful, the mission was going to be costly. And listen, church, nothing's changed. Nothing's changed from that. If you are faithful, difficulty is going to come. Heresies are going to have to be fought back. The gospel need, is going to need to be protected. And the mission, if you're faithful, will be costly. Paul goes at great lengths to remind the church here that despite what you face, Christ is above any power that challenges the church. That, that Christ and his body will stand over the grave of every other institution, every other nation, every other heresy. And that as long as Jesus reigns, his church will remain. Therefore, right, we can labor in both confidence and victory because our Christ has risen and sits supreme as the final judge that will crush the head of all who oppose him. In fact, listening to how Christ puts all things under his feet and exalts his church over these things reminds me of uh, my favorite song that we sing, which is in Christ alone, my favorite few verses. Um, it reads, you know, you, you know it, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. Because guess what? We can do no other.
Where else can we find this type of confidence? Because we know, as we also sing, all other ground is sinking sand. That is the reminder that he's given to Ephesus. When we remember that we can have confidence on this mission, it makes loving radically a reality, something we can actually do and that we're called to. The church can confidently pursue the mission of God because who can stop it? Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah asked the question, who can thwart God's will? This isn't a real question. This is a rhetorical one because the answer is no one. So because of that, we should be a people more on fire and more confident than anyone. Who should have more confidence than the church in what we do? But is that what we see? Be honest with yourself. Do you see confidence in your call to disciple? In your call to evangelize? Do we see a radical, sacrificial love? Or are we just slowly becoming strangers that find excuses not to gather, that jet through that door as soon as it opens, only to maybe get a glance in a dark room next Sunday of each other? Failing to pray, to contact, to love, to care for, to invest in each other's lives through the week. This isn't the end of the church of Ephesus. What's really cool about this church is we kind of see where they're commended early in their life, and we kind of see them in the late stages or later stages of their church. We see what becomes of them in Revelation 2. Um, In chapter 2, the first section is to the church of Ephesus. In fact, it's labeled to the church of Ephesus. He says in verse 2, this is Jesus speaking. Jesus is speaking to the apostle John. He says, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. And you have not grown weary. Look at this. Jesus is commending a church. Number one, that has to feel awesome, right? That Jesus is commended. What church wouldn't want to be commended by Christ? Uh, but he says, right? He's telling them, like, you've, you've worked hard. You've been patient. You've endured much. They called out heretics and protected the gospel. Right? Jesus isn't questioning their hard work. He even commends them really indirectly of their knowledge of Scripture and ability to discern. But listen to the next few verses. Verse 4 and 5. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Jesus tells them what, they're, what he's going to do if they don't. And it's this. He says, if you, if you don't repent and return to the love you had at first, I'm going to remove your lampstand. In other words, I'm going to shut your doors because guess what, church? You are not representing the mission I've set you on. You're failing. The commander has sent you out and you have gone AWOL from the mission in which you have been given. So great, you got all the theological answers, 
great. You are patient. You're hardworking. All these are great things, but what does he tell the church of Ephesus? I'm going to close your doors because you forgot about the mission. They did so much well, but they forgot the mission to love the saints and reach the lost. I don't know, maybe they forgot. Maybe it was apathy, maybe distracted, I don't know. But what I do know is, church, you're not immune to this. I'm not immune to this. The same thing that happened to the church of Ephesus can happen to you and I. Now, recently, I got, uh, I got asked to coach soccer. I love soccer. Um, it was kind of a guilt trip. They called me up and they're like, oh, we saw that you signed your son up to play soccer. Oh, man, only if we could find someone to coach his team, then some, you know, he could play. But I'll let you give him the bad news, Dad, that he can't play because there's no one to coach. And I was like, all right, fine, uh, I can do this. I can coach. And uh, I coach actually with Bethany White, um, who's a member here. Uh, and she would tell you, by no surprise, right, I'm very loud on the soccer field. And I'm very passionate. And we had a game yesterday, and there was this moment, man, it, it was so funny. Um, the other team, it, it's, it's five through seven-year-olds, right? Um, but the other team, these, these horrible children, were running against my team and trying to score on, on our team. And as they're running, I, I'm, I'm trying to get the team ready. I'm like, guys, come on. Look, look, here they come. Here they come. Get ready. Get ready. And I'm looking around, and I'm, oh, my goodness. The one kid, this is, I'm not making this up. One kid was, like, doing a robot, like, in, like, in the middle of the field, just in La La Land, doing, a, doing the robot. Another kid uh, was doing a handstand by the goal. Um, my son was, <laughs> my son, he looked like, you know, the, uh, like the Japanese, like karate movie, samurai movies, where their mouths are moving, but like the different words, they're not really matching up. He's somehow doing that. He's like, I'm going to get you this next time. And he was like doing that. And he's like doing these like ninja moves. And one kid runs off the field to ask their mom, hey, what are we having for lunch? All of them were distracted, right? All of them. All of them in that moment lost sight of the mission, why they were there. And listen, there is nothing wrong with being a ninja. Uh, there's nothing wrong with handstands. I wish I could do the robot as good as that kid. Um, and listen, I love lunch, but if there was ever an illustration of the church today, there it was. Everyone distracted. Everyone not ready. Everyone given a mission, yet they've taken themselves out of commission completely. Distracted about filling their bellies rather than what God has told them to do. Lee Whites, I'd ask you that you do some prayer and some soul searching and ask, have you lost sight of the mission of Christ? Have you abandoned the love you had at first for all the saints? Do, do people that come here now have that same response they did 10 years ago? Man, they are loving. They're incredible. They're kind and inviting and investing. Have you grown cold and comfortable? I think a maybe even a good measure, is uh, 
is where discipleship should start. Moms, dads, grandparents. Are you investing and discipling children and grandchildren? Are you discipling husbands, wives, one another? Praying for one another? Because I promise you, I, I have a hard time believing that you are not willing to disciple your own family, but you will lovingly disciple those outside of it. Church, when's the last time you sought, intentionally sought, someone who you know did not know the gospel? And that you radically love them so much that you're willing to sacrifice the awkwardness that is the Christian faith and evangelism and say, I, I don't care. I don't care that it makes me feel weird. I, I want them to know Christ. Maybe we're already there. Maybe we forgot the love we had at first. And maybe we're at the point when we need to, as Jesus told the church of Ephesus, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did it first. There was a church um, not too far from here. It's in Dunbar. Most of you know where that's at. I know this church because my father-in-law, he pastored there, and, and um, he was hurt. I, I would say they, they mistreated him. I mean, they definitely mistreated him, treated him very poorly uh, as a pastor. Now, I was talking to him last night about this because I, I told him that... Um, you know, I, I find this just really interesting what happens to them. In the 60s, they were flourishing, right? They were, they were reaching people. They were growing and, and apparently in depth and, and scale, right? They were really doing something special. Um, uh, it being been, I don't know, five, six years ago, Will and I wanted to um, plant a church in Dunbar. Um, the, the Dunbar is a city that needs a, a healthy church. And we were talking about maybe planning an autonomous church there, and uh, we, we had asked Danny Rumpel, who's um, director of NAM for West Virginia, kind of over church planting. We asked him to go and, and talk to this particular church. Um, they own two properties, uh, the church building this giant school on the other side of the road. And I remember he went to them and asked, uh, you know, would you be willing? There's, I think there's like eight people there at the time. And he said, would you be willing to donate this building? We want, we want to plant a church. Another church wants to look at planting here in Dunbar um, and, and reaching the lost here in, in the city. And the response was pretty telling. It's heartbreaking, really. They said, uh, we don't want the competition. Rather, what they did um, was sold their building to a Hindu, and they sold it to uh, religious Hindus, and now it's a Hindu temple um, where their idolatry is practiced weekly, daily. Listen, I tell that story not, not to belittle them, but to say the people in 1960 never could have imagined that's what would have become of their local body. That they would miss, that the, their future would miss the mission so much that they would actually promote ungodliness and wickedness But I tell you that too because, listen, unless you're discipling and making disciples and evangelizing, look, this generation here, we will all pass and this church is going to have some sort of legacy. And my prayer, it's one that's renowned for loving its saints and loving the lost. 
that our faith can be seen by our affection of others. Listen, if you see that you have not been faithful in the mission, I do want you to repent. But listen, I don't want you to sit all day and beat yourself up because guess what? You need to rejoice because you worship a God who's faithful even when you are unfaithful. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. To learn more about New Heights Church or a relationship with Christ, please visit our website at www.newheightswv.com.